The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, and, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. All right. Thank you, Nathan. And uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So uh, this week again, in preparation for hosting Alpha, we are talking about what it means for a community to share their faith. And so uh, John opened up the last few weeks with a meditation about the good news of creation. Last week, I talked about uh, the way that Israel, a community created by God, was promised to uh, and called really to be a blessing to all people and a light to the world. We remembered that Israel's identity came from a man named Jacob, who was not the exemplar of all things good and, and amazing in the Christian life, was actually somebody who struggled with God and was renamed Israel, uh, which means to wrestle with God. So really the identity of all of God's people um, kind of has this idea of wrestling and struggling in it. So it must not be that to share our faith, we have to be strong and perfect. Uh, we said last week, we are not the light of the world, but we point people to the light and that God is at work in us, producing the change in us, but that our perfection isn't the prerequisite for sharing our faith. And this week, it's not really a, a new message. It's kind of a, a rehearsal, a rehashing of that. But we're looking at the words that Jesus left with us in what we call the Great Commission, where he commanded people um, who would have been the people of Israel and people who are intrigued about faith um, to go out to the nations again and tell them about himself. So the question for this evening is, what do we learn about being a community that shares its faith from Jesus Christ's actual words to us. And I'm going to kind of just follow the, this scripture we read today and ask what it means. So jumping in, I'm just going to read again a little bit of what Nathan read. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is after, just for a little context, Jesus um, has been, he's lived uh, about three years of being active in ministry, um, not that long, and he had developed a following. Some people liked him, some people didn't, um, and especially the, the highly religious uh, leaders of his day um, were, were a bit tired of him, and they convinced the Romans that he was a problem. The Romans arrested him. Um, he went through a trial where uh, even the Romans weren't too convinced that he was that bad of a guy, but to kind of deal with him and get him uh, out of their hair, they did what the Jewish people were asking for and crucified him um, in the place that was really meant for a, a, a criminal. Um, and a crucifixion is a, a public shaming. It's a death um, in which you're also shamed. And so he went through the, the most shameful death. You would have hung naked in front of the city gates. So imagine you know, being at about... Ina and the freeway, um, hanging naked on a post as you died while everybody drove by and looked at your name on a placard. Um, it's a great way to shame somebody as they take their last breath. And Jesus had been through this, 
Um, and his disciples had witnessed all of this and had dealt with all of this. And then uh, three days later, some women came uh, to the tomb to just anoint his body, to look after things, and found it empty. And they heard from an angel that he had risen from the dead, though they just thought this was somebody in the garden. And they went and told the disciples. The disciples came, found an empty tomb, um, and they started to wonder if this was the case. And uh, Jesus then appeared to them, and they believed that, that it was him. And they were shocked, and they were trying to wrap their minds around what all of this means. And uh, there was a, a large group that gathered at this point when Jesus comes and says these words, we, we believe hundreds of people potentially, um, and saw Jesus in this moment where he tells them to go out into all the world. And a surprising thing is that you, you don't really have in the historical record, you have people who will acknowledge that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. You have historical record about people like his brothers, and we have a burial um, box from his brother James. And so he, he's a historical person. That's a fact. Um, you have people who say that, you know, he claimed to have risen from the dead. His, believer, his followers believed that he had. Um, but you don't really have any of these hundreds of people coming forward at any point saying, we made it up. Um, or, you know what? I was there. It wasn't him. That doesn't happen in the historical record, which is surprising. So here's Jesus in front of this group of people, speaking to them. Now, this is a pretty wild tale, right? This whole crucifixion, death, raising from the dead. Like, if, if you believed someone had risen from the dead and they were going to tell you to do something, you know, how seriously would you take them, right? Um, yeah, if you, just think about it. Like, if you pick your favorite, I don't know, TED Talk speaker, pastor, whatever, um, John Simon, perhaps, and... He's been publicly, you know, accused of some things and killed. And you believe he's come back to life by his own power. And he wants to tell you something. Like, are you intrigued by what he has to say at this time? Are you kind of like, maybe, maybe he, maybe he knows what he's talking about. You know, I don't know. Just think about it. This, this is that kind of moment. These people believe that this guy, I mean, as they're working it out, the scripture says some of them doubted, right? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't doubt in the middle of that wild story? But some of them doubted, but at the same time, they've got to be saying, what in the world does he have to, to say to us? And what he says is what we read. Go into the world, right? Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything I've commanded. That's what he says. Now, to the Christians in the room, um, have you ever felt yourself, uh, maybe having heard this stuff, a deep conviction you need to share your faith? Uh, I, I have. Um, have you? I, I once had a, uh, a period of youthful boldness. I, I really kind of got a hold of my faith at age 17. I've told this story many times, but my buddy Eric and I uh, kind of had this little, this little uh, boldness year, I would say, or so. And one time I went to uh, one of the parks uh, out on the west side, and my buddy Eric and I were just like, let's go tell people about Jesus. We had no other plan. We just walked into the park and just walked up to whoever, and we were like, we're here talking about Jesus. What's going on with you? That was our plan. So um, one, one, we walked up to some guys and said something like that, like, hey, we're, going, we're walking around talking with people about Jesus. What's going on with you? And this guy was like, I don't believe in God. We're like, cool, why not? 
And he said, well, if, there's, if there really is a God, then why did the hood of my car fly up and break my windshield today? And I said, dude, did you shut your hood today? And he said, no. And I said, God's not going to shut your hood. And he was like, oh. And I think he went on to be a pastor um, or a missionary. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him. But anyway, it was uh, youthful boldness is what, is what it was. I still think that wasn't the worst answer on my part. Um, but, then, you know, I had that impulse. Um, some of us have, have our own stories of uh, periods of boldness, right? And, but the data, the data out there says that most of us have actually never talked to anybody um, in, a, in a meaningful way about our faith. Um, that's that's kind of the, the norm, is that most of us actually haven't um, gone out of our way to explain what Jesus has done. So um, now, for those of you here who aren't really sure about this, I'm curious if you've ever had somebody share with you. Maybe that's even why you've come around to these parts. Somebody shared with you. And, and some of us have those kind of, um, I have been evangelized as an acting Christian because I don't always go around, you know, I go to the fair and there's people evangelizing. I, sometimes I don't tell them I'm a, I'm a Christian. I just let them go and just experience it. And uh, sometimes it doesn't go so well. Sometimes I'm like, man, I think I would be running if I weren't already a Christian um, from this situation. But, but sometimes it's not bad. There's a, a favorite podcast of mine recently is the Bill Simmons. There's a Bill Simmons podcast tribute to a guy named Jonathan Charks. I think I've mentioned it here at church before, but it's been a little bit. Jonathan Charks was a basketball commentator who died uh, very young of an aggressive cancer. He left behind a wife and, uh, and a child. And his friends do a tribute episode to him. And they describe a lot of things about just who he was, their friendship, their general love and respect for him, but they go in specific detail. This, this is the one, um, Jonathan Chark's tribute. You could look it up. Um, but they go into detail about his faith and even the ways that he would share his faith with them. It's really interesting to hear from the mouth of unbelievers. And one of the guys, he goes, dude, like when he would try to like proselytize me, it was weird because I would actually feel really close to changing my mind, and it creeped me out. I thought that was beautiful. I'm like, they're not mad at him. He's like, it was actually so compelling, I felt drawn to change my own mind. And I, I thought about that and thought, man, how cool is that, that in a tribute episode where they're saying, this guy was like my friend, I love this guy, I love talking basketball with this guy, when he shared his faith, it almost made me want to change my whole entire life direction. I mean, that's pretty cool. Maybe you've been evangelized and it was uncomfortable, but you have to consider some people have had different experiences. Some, some of you here, actually, it was a good thing. That's why you're here, right? Or maybe you heard something like that and you still have your doubts. That's normal too. Um, the people in this very passage, some of them were having their doubts as the actual Jesus was standing in front of them. That's, that's a, a reasonable place to be. But Jesus begins with this, these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I, I wonder why he began with saying that. That's one of my questions. Why, why did he say that? Well, uh, I mean, think about it. It was more costly then than now to promote a new faith. Why do I say that? What do I know about 
you know, ancient times. Well, I know that in Rome, the national religion had actually put the Caesars at the center of their religious worship. We know this. We know that the, the, the idea, their idea of God and their idea of the ruler had become kind of a merged identity. And so if you were to claim one God and to say, I do not align myself with that God, that would actually be a political problem in their time. We also know what just happened to Jesus when he didn't align with the Jewish leaders, right? Like Jesus has just been killed. I mean, this is just like within a week, right? Here's Jesus giving them this commission saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. They remember as well as you remember the events of last week when he was on a cross. Like it's been real recent, right? And they know that to go out there and say, I'm with Jesus, is to be with the guy who just got killed. That's not exactly how it feels to me, or probably to you. They knew the authority Jesus was offering them didn't protect him from being misunderstood, disagreed with, challenged, or killed, by the way. When he said, I have this authority, they're like, well, you had it last week, and you were misunderstood, challenged, and killed. So that authority must not save me from those kind of experiences. So we know that this is something that they would have looked at, and they must have connected it to like his raising from the dead, to something that was more profound, more, more important than being misunderstood or even killed. And this authority that he promised to them led them to go out into all kinds of surprising and difficult places, sharing what they believed to be good news and seeing God work in people's lives um, despite all kinds of challenges. And we really do know they, they did not have easy lives. You can read their stories in the Gospels, in the, in the records of history. They risked everything to tell people about Jesus. And their obeying of Jesus and believing that authority is literally why we're here. Like every one of us, unless you're a, a direct descendant of, I don't know, Abraham, and somehow it skipped Jesus. That didn't happen. I mean, you're here because somebody told somebody about Jesus who told somebody about Jesus who raised their family a certain way, and then it fell off. Like, And then somebody told them about Jesus, and they came back to it. And somehow somebody told you, and you're here, or raised you in the faith, or something. But if they hadn't done this, you're not here. And no other Christian is either, right? Um, this authority is why we're here. I think we still need to understand this authority, and it's just different. We didn't just see Jesus die on a cross. Uh, for me, we were talking about this last week, Mike and Ray and I, and, uh, and chances are if you're, let's see, like I'm, I'm 40, I would, I would venture somewhere in your 30s or older, th there was kind of a, an aura in the, the culture of the United States where there were evangelism programs were becoming very big. I, I remember teaching in, in one, and that was a big thing. And you would see, like, a lot of people on the streets, perhaps, and, you know, that's something that a lot of my friends grew up with at the university. And you would see maybe people getting hurt or, you know, not really sticking with it. I, for me, I remember sharing my faith with people and seeing them not really stick with it. Um, or you would see, uh, you know, there, there was, like, 
people would make somebody a project, like they would try to bring them to church, and then if they didn't come, they would move on, because there's kind of this, this push to bring people to Jesus, but not really to befriend people. And then in my generation, we kind of like got bothered by that, and we tried to untangle all that, so then we went re- relationship evangelism, where it was like, I'm going to be in Starbucks making a great latte and telling people I like their shirt, and then I won't be saying much more than that because I don't want to mess up the relationship. So you kind of flip-flopped and didn't want to do what you'd seen done wrong, okay? And then there was this cultural pressure. There was a bumper sticker that was really popular. It said, tolerance. About 2016, nobody bought those anymore. That, like somewhere in there, tolerance bumper stickers dropped off the sales charts. I, have, you, have you seen one on a shelf? I have not seen one for a while. But, but there was that movement. It was like, just be tolerant, you know, and it was all the different religious symbols. And that, but there was this idea that was encapsulated by that bumper sticker that was, you are supposed to separate your, your like portions of your identity. You have your faith, you have your job, you have your family life, and you, you need to keep these in compartments and they shouldn't cross over. And that was the idea. You can work with somebody, you can do civic duty with somebody. You don't need to, the faith component does not need to come up. Let's just let bygones be bygones. And so that's kind of what I grew up with. That's kind of what I've, I've, the journey my friends, a lot of the leaders of this church came through. And so you can be hesitant to openly speak your faith. It feels like you're violating the rules. It feels like you're violating what Christians learned. It feels like you're violating what the culture has asked you to do. And you can kind of feel like culty, if you, if you go out there and share your faith. Now, I'm not saying there aren't valid lessons from that period of time. I'm just saying that there's a journey we've been on that kind of makes people nervous to share their faith. Um, but I've also heard this from people who didn't grow up in the faith or don't have that like baggage or that journey, um, that it's maybe not that complicated. Maybe it's not that complicated. Actually, that guy, Jonathan Charks, did not grow up in the faith. When you listen to uh, some other stories or when he wrote a little about his faith, he is a, a, an adult convert who came to Christ through friends in a, in a very natural way. And he didn't see that as weird at all. And so then he would talk to his friends about his faith and they didn't feel it was weird either, right? Here's an example. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I was thinking about Gen Z and uh, like, what are their issues? And uh, there's so many. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I was, uh, I was, I was thinking about like with sharing, sharing faith. And one that I've caught a little bit of, I sat with a group of Gen Zers. I, I always think Cruz is like an anomaly. So I want to talk to other ones. But, but they even corroborated certain things that Cruz has said. Um, but there was there was this sense, this was, this was in Michigan over the summer, I was a part of one of these conversations. There was a sense that there's an openness to talk about spiritual things, but the chance of somebody actually settling in and, and like deciding felt very like highly unlikely. Like I think there was this, like yeah, every, the spiritual but not religious mode is big. Like I, I mean, if you go to, like go to Bookman's right now, like, I, I think it was last week, the whole middle section, when you were up at the impulse buys, you know, impulse buys are the things you buy because they stick them in front of your face right before you make your final purchase. The impulse buys were all religious at Bookman's, like last week. 
Like it's all, it's tarot, it's witchcraft, it's Satanism. I'm serious, like knickknacks um, relating to all of these things is like all spiritual stuff. It's very popular. So in that sense, it can feel like spiritual conversation is no problem, even bringing up God. But the chances that anybody's going to like decide or that that decision might stick for a while, it seems unlikely. I think it can be hard to hope for. So I think there's a lot of things that keep us from either sharing our faith or believing it's going to stick. And we need to like lean in to this idea that Jesus has authority that's bigger than us, that's bigger than our efforts, that's bigger than what we can accomplish here. So Jesus says, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. They needed to know that because they were in some dangerous situations. We need to know that because it can kind of feel difficult to pull off. And it is, if we're just on our own. Then Jesus says, go and make disciples. Um, with these next, I'm actually going to break this up a little bit into go, make disciples, and teach. Um, I want to talk about what it means to go, make disciples, and teach. But I also want to suggest that we tend in the church to reverse these to the detriment of our mission. Um, why do I say that? Um, Jesus says, go to people, disciple them, teach them. Why that order? Go to them, disciple them, teach them. What we usually see in our circles is that we want to teach somebody, either out in the public square or when they show up to church, once they commit through our teaching, then we'll consider them a disciple and give them some of our time. And then, um, you know, I don't even know where go factors into this, but like go is like for a special class of people who want to go somewhere really interesting, like urban New York, right? Or Uzbekistan, like that's like a special class. So we, we like to teach, then we'll disciple, and a few people go. And I think that's exactly reversed. Um, why do we do that? I, there are a lot of reasons we do those things. And some of them, I think we, we don't understand how the gospel and the Holy Spirit work in these situations. Um, we think that people change after they learn stuff. That's what we think. And we have a lot of wrong motives. And I also think risking an invitation of grace feels like a, a problem. Like, what if somebody came up in our space? We're a pretty understanding church, by the way. We're very unique. I'm proud of us for this. But when somebody comes in our space that disrupts it because they don't fit yet, that can be really tough. Anywhere. Um, if people are, are in our faith family just because we went and invited them in, no, no prerequisites, it might not, not always create a very meaningful community for us. We are really into things. I was thinking about this. What do I, I want out of church and like every week? I want it to be life-giving. Have you ever thought, like, I just want it to be life-giving. Like, I want to come here and be invested into. And I want to walk away feeling a little more encouraged. Like, I spent time with my buds. And if somebody's in here that takes a lot of work, that's not real life-giving to me. And I think that's a problem. I wonder if 
God's church is supposed to be life-giving to me. Or if that's my thing I want, right? I think the church is supposed to be powerful. I think it's supposed to change our lives. Maybe it's not life-giving. Um, when we just go into people's lives and just ask them to follow Jesus, you get a big mess. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever read or seen the play, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. This is what came to mind uh, for me when, when I thought of this. So this is where the delinquent Herdman children um, come to church. I think they heard they were going to get food. I'm trying to remember. It's been a bit since I read the book. Um, but they, they come in, and it's just a total mess, and they get stuck in the Christmas play. They're getting it all wrong. They're, like, they're just disruptive. They're vulgar. They're rude. They do it all wrong. And, uh, but what happens in the end of it is it's this powerful depiction of the gospel where they actually like, seem to capture the story in the Christmas play. Okay, we can all check it out. Um, it, by the way, it's, it was only 100, 107 or 9 today. It's fall. It's time for Christmas illustrations. Um, and so I thought I'd bring this one up. But what, what's the author, Barbara Robinson, what's she trying to show us? Why'd she pick the name the Herdmans? Why'd she pick Herdmans? Because she was alluding to shepherds. And she was showing at the, at the very beginning, when Jesus first comes to the earth, the first people who come and worship him are not the ones who are cleaned up. They're not the ones that are socially acceptable. They're not the ones that are invited into the temple. They're not religious people. They're shepherds. And we, don't, we think shepherds are like quaint and they live off the land and they have Instagram accounts. But back then, back then, a shepherd was actually like kind of a low life and was probably not really compliant um, with the way that society behaved. And it's interesting that the first people that get invited are shepherds. And how'd they get invited? God sent his angelic hosts to invite them personally on the mountainside. And they, and, they, and they showed up. And I'll bet you when Mary and Joseph looked up and they saw a bunch of shepherds coming in, they went, okay, this is not going to be a relaxing evening. It's not very life-giving. So... Jesus says, go into the world um, as he went to the shepherds, as he came to us, to people who didn't know what they were doing, probably weren't following the commandments, or by the way, you were following, following them in a totally self-righteous way and it stunk to him, but he loved you anyway, and he invited you or somebody invited you. That's why we're here, because somebody invited us to come see Jesus. Is it risky? Is it messy? Yes. Does it work? Sometimes. Like, look at Jesus's ministry. Sometimes people followed him. Sometimes they dropped off. Even Jesus invited a lot of people. He just went out and did his thing. Some people were into it. Some people left. But that's what God does. He says, go. Just go. Go. And then he said, make disciples. And again, I, I think we want to make disciples after people are all in. I grew up in ministry circles. This is how it works. Somebody comes to church. They make a profession of faith. What do they do? They join a discipleship class. At the discipleship class, we teach them the basics. Then from there, they go on to more sophisticated doctrine. They're showing a lot of promise. Get them into seminary. And now they're going to lead us, right? Why? I don't know. We want it to work in this order. And if we do it this way, I actually think we're going to keep having very few people become Christians. Because that's not really how discipleship works. Why do I say that? Um, 
I do a podcast with my buddy Eric. He just posted one. It's called Faith Over Breakfast. Um, and we interviewed our youth pastors before the summer, so we just put up the, the one from my youth pastor. And this is when I was going to church. I was going to church fully for the right reasons. I liked a girl, um, and she went to the church, so that's why I was there. And my youth pastor says I was kind of the wrestling-seeking, argumentative type. And I thought, shoot, nothing's changed. But, you know, looking back, here I was, and, and I was there for all the wrong reasons, just showing up, having the discussions. And then I have my kind of big moment of seeing Jesus at 17. But what does that mean? That means that they were walking with me, teaching me about Jesus and teaching me about all kinds of things for years before that happened, right? Imagine if they'd said to me, um, hey, once you're really like, you really can answer these questions, then we'll start discipling you. I, all of that that led up to me having that monumental moment with Jesus wouldn't have happened. Now, I think I was a youth in the church. I think we see this with kind of young people in the church and it makes more sense. But why wouldn't that be the case with adults? Isn't that how it worked with Jesus? Jesus goes out to adults and he says, follow me. And they began following him. And I guarantee you when, you know, Peter and James and John left their fishing boats um, and Andrew left their, their fishing boats, um, Jesus didn't sit them down and say, hey, Okay, here's the deal. I've got a class for you to take. I'd like you to understand that I am actually part of the triune God. And I'm only one part, there's two others. And we're all co-equal and co-eternal like we taught the kids. And um, by the way, I am here on a rescue mission and I'm going to have a substitutionary atonement is what's gonna happen. It's very parallel to what you've learned about in the Old Testament, except I will be the physical representation of not only the priest, but actually the sacrifice on the altar. And then um, after my resurrection, um, I will give you power from the Holy Spirit, the other member of my triune self. Do you believe these things? And they said, yes, actually we do. And he said, great, I would like you to sign this commitment form. And they said, okay, we will. And he said, now you can follow me. No, right? Not at all. They just start following him, and they don't know squat. And as they go, they continue to know some squat and not some squat, right, as time goes on. It, it's kind of a big mess. And, you know, by the way, in case you know, one of them in the end doesn't believe any of it anyway or changes his mind or something and betrays Jesus, and that's part of why he goes to the cross. But Jesus still discipled that guy the whole way, right? That's how it goes. My friend Rod has been hammering this into me for years, he says, discipleship always begins when someone isn't a believer. You, you invite people to follow you as you follow Jesus the first time you meet them. Sometimes it's not even formal. You don't, if you're following Jesus and somebody's in your life, you're discipling them. Did you know that? You are. They're watching how you follow Jesus and learning from you. That's what's happening. So go, get into people's lives, don't wait for some cool trip or cool place. By the way, I think we should only send missionaries who are already doing it at home. Just maybe this can be like, can we make this like a mission? Can we put this in the bylaws? If you don't like people in Arizona, we're not sending you anywhere. You got to like disciple people here and then maybe we'll send you somewhere else. Um, go out, go in your circles, in your community, your friend group, go there, let people walk with you as you try to follow Jesus. That's, that's where we start. And then teach. 
teach them. That happens as you disciple. As you disciple somebody, you begin to teach them. That's what Jesus did. He taught them all the way along the journey. Um, Some of you know Jared and Cruz and I are signed up for some classes, a program that John did. You know, we're showing up there. We're learning. Guess what, guys? I learned things Thursday in my Christian walk. I've been a Christian since I was 17 years old. I'm still learning. I still need teaching, right? Everyone does. This is a lifelong journey, the teaching. If you think you're going to get somebody all taught up and then they'll become a Christian, it's reversed. So, okay. Um, Here's the other fact. People don't follow Jesus um, because they found out they were wrong. Um, We get this out of order. People do not follow Jesus because they find out they were wrong. They follow Jesus because they find out about his grace. And then they learn his ways and they trust him. Um, And when we start with teaching, and and how do we teach? I think a lot of times um, in the public square, we, we like to tell the world how off base they are. That happens, right? Um, Or like in the private sphere, we want somebody to kind of get their life together to a degree where it's nice to like know them. And then we might let them in. Um, Or if you meet somebody and they present that they have some views that aren't really right, you go, let's kind of try to dial those in and see if you could conform to this group of ours. And then you can follow Jesus. Um, We want to teach them but that doesn't work, A, because that the Holy Spirit changes a person by the grace of God and then makes them more like himself with time. And also, the watching world is really aware of something, and that is that you and I aren't obeying the teaching like we should. If we start with the teaching, you've got to get the teaching right. People know we aren't doing it. How do they know? They see stuff in the news. That's kind of a bummer. It's kind of unfair. That doesn't necessarily represent me, right? Like the bad guys in the news, but they see that. But even more than that, when people know know us and they see our motivations and they see how we act on a bad day, they know we haven't internalized this the way that we should. So if we tell them that here's how you're supposed to live, or even if we exhibit to them, you got to become like us in order to be a part of us, they're going to know we're hypocrites. And they'll be right. Um, something that stuck out to me as a young church planner years ago, I was uh, preparing a sermon over at the Raging Sage, and there was a guy uh, sitting next to me in one of the little booths, and I had a Bible out. I was getting ready for the sermon, and he said, oh, I take it you're a Christian, and, uh, and I kind of sensed he was a little bit skeptical, and so I said, worse, I'm a pastor, and he rolled his eyes, and he's like, oh, gosh, and I said, I take it you're not a fan of us. And he said, you know, I didn't used to have a problem with you guys, but when my sister became a Christian, nobody could ever tell her she was wrong about anything because it was always, you're not giving me grace. She couldn't be accountable for anything anymore. It's how she weaseled out of all the hurt she's done in our family. Jesus died for my sins, so leave me alone. See, he saw, he could see his sister's motivations, maybe even better than she could, right? People know. So when we begin with the rules, even if we don't think we are, even if we begin with, you got to be kind of like us, people aren't going to be duped by it. Here again are Jesus's words, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe what I've commanded you. Um, what did I miss here? I missed baptism. Um, you know, he said to baptize people. Somewhere in there when people become Christians, um, in Christian circles, people get baptized. And this is deep symbolism. It's not a magic ritual. It's not what saves you. It's like a signpost symbolizing your identification with Jesus. The, 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 it's, it's a powerful moment. It's like there's like a death, a burial, a new life that you can kind of like see in the actions of a baptism. It marks your entrance into the community of baptized people. It's a visible act, a landmark event. But what it points to is the power of God in your life, that it's not of you, that you become passive as you're placed in the waters. And uh, I, hope, I hope and pray for more baptisms uh, here at Mission, but it's not going to come um, unless we go and start discipling people. That's how it's going to happen. Um, if you haven't been baptized, uh, talk to me, but it's, uh, I want to see it happen a lot more here. Um, and one more thing, um, if, you know, I, I believe we're, we all go. I believe that you go whether you mean to or not. When you're in relationships, when you're out and about, you're going, you're out there, and you're discipling people because they're watching you. Anybody you know, you're already discipling. Um, but if, you, if you're kind of struggling, you don't know how to put the, the words together, that's okay. Uh, one thing we're trying here is Alpha, and we're going to talk about that a little more during announcements. But this is where you can just bring a friend, you can commit to it with them, and we're going to have videos that explain basics of the Christian faith and leave space for them to ask their questions. Um, it's a pretty uh, non-threatening environment. And so if you're like, I don't know how to put the words to it, we can do this as a community. Bring them in. Let's have a conversation. Um, I think some people have been intimidated by the idea of inviting people. So here's a thought. Why not just say, hey, um, I, I'm a Christian. I have been for X amount of time. At my church, we're going to have these videos on the Christian faith. You might be interested it's a, it's a time of no judgment, and you don't have to commit. If you don't like it, you can leave in the middle of a session or right after. But I'd love it if you were there with me. Just try. See what happens. You might be surprised. Maybe like Jonathan Charks, um, there might be somebody out there who's like, I'm interested. So bring them along. It doesn't have to feel weird. Um, why does it feel weird, right? Um, it can still, it can be uncomfortable I think I've been nervous about sharing my faith myself, especially after I made some mistakes during that kind of shotgun period I had. Um, and, and, it, and it also feels weird because you feel like it can make a relationship different, right? And, and I think if you put too much pressure on it, it, it can. Um, maybe you're not a good follower of Jesus and somebody's going to see it. Guess what? They already know. Um, but, but I think it feels as weird as we feel about our trust in Jesus, or about ourselves. It's usually more about ourselves. That's what it is with me. I'm insecure. I don't want somebody to reject me. And so I worry more about that than them and Jesus. And I think that podcast with Jonathan Charks, to me, was really a good reminder because his friends knew it was just a part of who he was, and he was just honest with them. Um, and they knew he cared for them. And so that, that helped me remember if I love and care about people and they know that, they're going to know this is just part of that, even if they're not into it, just like his friends weren't. Um, so I'd encourage us to kind of move past that, right? But you know what? I also want to acknowledge somebody might reject you. Like, you might bring up your faith to them 
like whether it's inviting them to Alpha or you just might tell them you're a Christian, and they, they might. Like, they might think that's weird or at this point in history, like, oppressive. Um, they might misunderstand it entirely, and that, that happens, and it's painful. And um, Jesus has done, done that. He's been treated that way and understands what that's like. Um, you might even get mocked. Uh, you might find an antagonistic person. I've actually found those people to be the closest to Jesus. I had an old neighbor named Jim, and the first time um, he, he walked by my yard, I was doing something in the yard of my old house, and, uh, and he, he asked me what I did, and I told him he was a pastor, and the expletives began to fly, and I was like, hey, okay. And I got to know him more, and um, one day probably I, I had my best you know, evangelistic move with him where he kind of was going off on something. I looked over at him. I said, dude, I don't even bring up Jesus with you. You always bring it up. Like, you think about Jesus more than anybody I know, you weirdo. And I was like, maybe you need to like start praying or something because like you talk about him all the time. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, literally every day I see you. You're mad at Jesus. So admit you believe in him already. Um... Often, like, people who are wrestling with God, they're, they're after something. Like, maybe they're not mad at you, right? Like, but here's the thing. If you're mad at God, you believe in him. So, explore that, somebody. Maybe don't be quite as blunt as I was. That took a couple years to get there. Um, but all of that to say, these last words of Jesus are a comfort and an anchor. He says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Ultimately, our hope isn't in succeeding in reaching people. If that's the hope, if it's in succeeding, if it's in, you know, getting a, a self-affirmation out of it, then yeah, that might really not go well. But if our hope is that we are known by Jesus and he's with us, and we're just being honest with people about that, we don't really have anything to be afraid of. And this whole time, Jesus, by the way, is not just talking to you. When he says this, when I, I am with you always, something happens in our brains when we read the Bible. And we read that like he kind of took each one of us off in a little room. And he said, hey, buddy, I'm with you. But he didn't. He said it to hundreds of people at the same time. He said it to the entire church of all history. He says it to all of us. Like he's with us as a team. We're in this together. He's with us. He's in our midst, and we have each other, and we have him at the same time. Um, the, the you is plural. It's not all on your shoulders. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's an us thing. Some of us have a better probably grasp on how to put the words together. Some of us are better at inviting. Some of us are better at just setting the table of hospitality. Like That's the cool thing about what we're going to do with Alpha is some of us are just going to make some food. Um, some of us are just going to make sure there's not like stuff on the floor. Some of us are going to sit and we're going to learn to keep our mouth shut so we can listen to people, right? And that's, but we get to do it as a group. It's not all on your shoulders. And ultimately, it's not even on all of our shoulders. It's on the one who's given us all of this authority that belongs to him. He's the one that raised from the dead, not us. Um, we go out into the world, and we carry, what we carry is not our intellect, not our ability to explain this. What we carry is that he's with us, and he's doing the heavy lifting. Um, 
you know, uh, maybe we don't feel like he's with us all the time. I, you know, maybe it's kind of hard. The other thing, just I'm just going to wear out this Jonathan Charks podcast. But the, right before Jonathan Charks died, he wrote a couple of posts that they went public with on this sports uh, website that he's a part of. One of them was about how crummy people, um, you know, how people didn't follow up with him and his mom after his dad died. And it was kind of a hard talk to like everybody to be there for his son when he died and not neglect him. It wasn't feel good. And then he wrote this one, it was like the, about the dark night of the soul. The two posts that he wrote that his like the giant sports fl- platform that talked about basketball and uh, you know the NBA draft and all this stuff, those are the ones they posted of his. Those were the ones that got people interested and then they posted the thing about his faith you don't have to have it all together. You just need to be living life with Jesus. Sometimes it's not even smooth. We're on the right path if we are trying to follow Jesus and we just invite people to walk with us. Um, And Jesus is the one who's told us to follow him. He's done the powerful work in our lives and we can trust him with those who we know and love. This table here is an illustration of this. Um, Imagine you invited someone to dinner with Jesus. Imagine Jesus was like, this was the day he was going to give the Great Commission. Um, And you'd invited somebody to the the big moment. You said, Jesus, you didn't know he was going to go away. You said, okay, Jesus, I can't really explain to you what he's done. Resurrection, you don't, okay. But just, do you want to just come with me and hear him talk? He's going to tell us something. He, I, I'm really impressed by him. I just want you to come hear him speak. Um, and, and you just brought them to hear what he had to say. And he got up and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me and all these powerful things. And they, they didn't even know what it all meant, but they, they felt the same feeling that other people felt in Jesus's presence, which was like, this guy has an authority like I've never experienced before. Um, this feels like God talking and they were just compelled to know more about him. The table is kind of like that. Jesus was sitting there with his kind of mixed bag of disciples who some of them doubted and some of them were all over the place. And he just said to them, uh, he took the bread from the table, broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And they didn't know what he was talking about, by the way. They had not put the doctrine together on that. And then he took the wine from the table, and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of many. And I guarantee you they were real unclear on what that was about. Um, But they just took it, and they just trusted him. And they, like, leaned into that over time. And then the early church kept having meals together, and they took the bread and wine at their table, and they just kept repeating that to people over and over again. And people have come to Jesus and encountered him, and said there's something different about this. That's evangelism. We come to Jesus. He sends us out from his table. We invite people. It's that simple. So today, we come to the one whose body and blood were broken for us. By some miracle, we've come to believe it. Whatever we learned has been a a patient process by God, and we come to him, and we go out with his presence uh, out into a world of people just like us of all kinds of issues and all kinds of questions. So we carry Jesus to them. Um, I'm going to pray. There's going to be two minutes of silence after that. 
Um, we, we're going to do these three acts of worship that the Christian church has always done. Um, we are going to sing together. Um, we are going to sing these songs. These are meant to kind of get the belief stuck in our head. This is a piece of discipleship where we are going to kind of just rehearse these words and try to remember them deeply um, through song. We're going to give, uh, which is the way that, that the Christian church has always done their thing. They, they put their money together to forward the mission, to take care of their leaders, to make sure that their evangelistic stuff is fully funded. Um, and so we're going to do that as well. You can give, um, there's going to be a QR code you can give in the back, and you give as an act of worship, um, not out of guilt. Um, and then we're going to uh, come forward and take the Lord's Supper, um, which I just explained um, to some degree. And this is where we just come empty-handed receiving grace from Jesus, receiving who he is um, and connecting with him and then being sent out when you walk away from the table, consider yourself commissioned by Jesus to go into the world and uh, make disciples. So first, I'm going to pray uh, briefly for us and leave two minutes of silence. And that time is just for you to uh, open up to God about whatever uh, you've heard today that you need to process, any question you need to ask him. Um, that's just time for you to pray. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this evening, for this church, uh, for the beautiful work you're doing. I, I love um, when I hear the stories of our people. Uh, they're, they're not going out, um, you know, preaching themselves or their success to the world. Uh, but they are telling people about you and what you're doing in their lives. Um, imperfectly, yes, but you are at work, and we're so grateful. God, as, uh, as we gather to you today, um, remembering our own journeys with you, um, the, days when, the day when you called us to follow you, maybe the day of our baptism, maybe the day that we started to learn a little bit more about our faith, um, thank you for that authority and the work that you've done in our lives. And... Um, Give us just a deep sense of your presence with us, that we'd be able to openly share who you are to us and what you've done, uh, unafraid of what it means about us, um, just relying on you, and kind of just, just proud that we get to be a part of what you're doing. So I pray that you would do that work within us that even scares us sometimes, and I lift up our prayers to you in Jesus' name.